everyone. Welcome to Risk Roundup. The fear of the potential use of wireless technologies as a covert weapon system is becoming very, very real. The reason behind that is if the wireless technologies can be used for cyber attacks, monitor, synchronize and alter a heart rhythm with modification, it could very well be used to alter brain waves or other, any other anatomical functions. Since the backbone of the internet, the infrastructure of networks upon which the internet traffic travels has gone from being a passive infrastructure for communication to an active weapon of attacks, it is important to understand what has changed, where are the gaps, what has enabled internet to be weaponized and which layer of cyberspace is easy to weaponize and which layer of cyberspace weaponization will have the biggest impact to our safety and security. So is it the Wi-Fi, is it the 5G to discuss? This further, I'm delighted to welcome James Keating to this roundup. James is the Vice President of Product Strategy at Zimperium and is based in the United States. Welcome, James. We're honored to have you on this roundup. Thank you very much for having me. I'm looking forward to the discussion. Wonderful, James. So how did the internet end up becoming an active weapon for attacks? Uh, well, I think the, the reality is um, once everything started getting connected to it, once our lives went digital, then it was a natural a natural thing to to start going that direction. And, and also, I think as a practical matter, one of the advantages of all technology, software, hardware, et cetera, is the whole thing about scale, right? You can produce something very simply that can have wide scale because you don't have to manufacture something over and over and over again. So even in cyber, it works that way. If you It takes a certain amount of capital and a certain amount of resources to be able to, for instance, build a bomb right? And, but then you've got one bomb. In cyber, if you put less resources, you have no manufacturing. If you produce something like malware, you can spread it repeatedly with very little, with very little scaling costs. So it's, it's this weird thing where everything's connected, but also it's much more cost effective to, to be able to go after it if you're, if you're an adversary. Yes, very true. Now, it is said that depending on how the internet traffic passes through and which country it passes through, determines the vulnerability for weaponization. So from your assessment, what role the country's infrastructure plays in the weaponization of the internet? You know, it's a really good question. Um, you know, I think, I think the interesting thing is if I kind of look at it from very simplistically two parts, right? You've got the backbone and then you've got local distribution. You know, even think of it almost like in a phone company standpoint, the backbones are going through all of these countries. Um, and to a certain extent, from what I've seen, and I'm not an expert in all the in all the backbone parts of things, that doesn't seem to be as much of an issue um, it, it, because it's like it's just it's much more protected. What becomes really interesting is the local distribution. Right. So you've got the backbone, but then as it gets out to the endpoints, where people are actually connecting to it, whether it's wired or wireless, that's where there's much more of a chance for, for potential issues. And that's where we see the majority of issues that are truly national, right? Um, and one of the things that's become very interesting is you don't necessarily even have to control that local network, let's say a Wi-Fi network, right? You, you don't have to control the local phone company to be able to attack a Wi-Fi network. You can attack that Wi-Fi network itself, and you can do it from a completely different country. Um, so, so a lot of the laws and local things that have to do with with the countries 
all have to do with the communication up to like a demarcation line. But then when you start going past that, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, you know, that it becomes a, it becomes wide open. Um, and, and because of technology, you can even control some of those things remotely. It makes it makes the um, the nationalistic thing very difficult. For instance, um, our first half of the year threat report uh, here at Zimperium, we noticed that almost a third of the fake Wi-Fi networks we detected worldwide during that period of time were all in South Korea. And so, you know, clearly you sit there and say, okay, who would want to put up a bunch of fake Wi-Fi networks and trick a bunch of, of folks that have devices in South Korea to connect to them and to send all their traffic through them? Obviously, there's some some pretty obvious potential candidates. So, but it's not South Korea, right? So, so that's why it's 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 a really interesting question because geographically you can control your own turf, but what happens if somebody comes into your turf remotely and starts and starts messing around with things? And that's what we're seeing a lot of. So today, is it it is possible for anyone to create the Wi-Fi network in any country they want remotely? Um, it's not easy to necessarily do it remotely, but what is easy to do remotely is travel. I mean, it, it, it's not remotely, but you can very easily travel into a new country and you can very easily set up fake Wi-Fi networks, for instance, all over the place. Um, and we've seen examples. Um, for instance, um, uh, in October 2017, uh, Russia was actually caught in this particular case. They took what's called a pineapple, which is a, a fake Wi-Fi network. You can literally almost buy it on Amazon. They bolted those onto drones and flew the drones around a NATO base in Poland. And 4,000 soldiers' phones yes. connected to it. And there was troop movements, microphones, fake orders, all of that stuff being sent. Um, so that, that's just an example of they were able to come into Poland. They, in this particular case, or even able, able to get up drones. Now that's super spy stuff. Um, we've seen other cases where, for instance, um, you and I were talking before this about the about Silicon Valley. Um, there's a, a bus that goes from San Francisco down into the valley that is for people that want to live in the city but work in the valley. And it's free to anybody because it's a recruiting tool. It's free to anybody that that works Google, Apple, Facebook, I mean, any of them, right? There's free Wi-Fi, there's free donuts, free coffee. Um, well, a bunch of technology companies in the Valley are customers of ours. And employees, one of the employees of one of those companies kept noticing on our device, on our software, that the, the he was getting warned that the Wi-Fi network was fake, but it was the name of the bus. It was the bus's Wi-Fi network, according to the name. But what it was is it was a guy in a Prius that was right behind the bus every single day broadcasting Wi-Fi at a higher frequency and all these laptops and all these phones were connecting and putting all the traffic back through them. So those are a couple local examples. Um, you can do man in the middle attacks and stuff a little bit more easily remotely. Um, but simple fact, it's just really easy to do. And that just happens to be Wi-Fi. As we start looking to the future, you start looking into Bluetooth and things and, it, and it's, it's, it just becomes a little bit wide open and very difficult to do any kind of, uh, of kind of nationalistic approach to the whole thing um, because you can't be everywhere. Yes, you are right. We cannot be everywhere. But the challenge is that it seems from what you are telling me is that anybody can uh, set up that uh, fake Wi-Fi network. 
there are no rules or regulations that someone has to register to you know have a wi-fi network is it uh, is it th that direction we are going that it's completely free and open to anybody whoever wants to buy wi-fi equipment and buy you know uh, and create a network wherever they would like you know and there is no registry no you know rules or regulations at this point currently i mean now now it it, it varies i think a little bit by country um but as a general rule yes and the, one of the dumbest things about smart devices, smartphones, tablets, et cetera, is that unless you actually really know what you're doing, which let's assume that most people don't, because one of the biggest differences on mobile compared to traditional endpoints, let's say from an enterprise standpoint, which I know are a lot of your listeners, right, um, is if you would ask a security person, what's the biggest risk in an organization since the beginning of cybersecurity? We will have told you, and I've been doing this for 25 years, We'll tell you it's a human being. It's a carbon-based life form, right? Well, that carbon-based life form that terrified us when he was inside of a protected corporate network on a centrally managed desktop with central patch management system and everything, he's now the admin of this device, this supercomputer. He spends 80% of his time outside of the protected corporate network. He decides when he's going to update. There is no patch management system. He decides what networks he's going to connect to. He decides what apps he's going to install, right? So the user, this this person that terrifies us when we had control of them, is now in control, right? And one of the things is that where I was saying about the the dumbest thing about smartphones, the phone introduces itself to the network, not the other way around. Yes. So in the in the the Russian example, I mean, I was kind of laugh about it. I mean, it's like four thousand soldiers' phones said, "Are you NATO?" And it said, yes, I am. And it connected, right? Um, and and so it, it's, it's anybody can put up any network and then just wait because when the phone comes and says, hey, are you Starbucks? The network just goes, yes, yes. and you're connected. Yes. Um, you know, now there are some things that are coming down the pipe, um, you know, that can help change some of that um, a little bit. Um, but, uh, but right now it's not here. And even those are technological ideas, um, and, and not mandated ideas, yeah. right? Yes, very true. Now, another pro issue that I see with our networks is that irrespective of whether it's Wi-Fi or, you know, fiber line on, you know, fiberless is that, uh, all these data that, you know, travels on the network, it's blind unless you know any data that enters our country we don't know whether that it's a cyber weapon cyber missile or you know just uh, some mp4 file or mp3 file or you know a uh, simple email uh, and there are no security controls there are no security checkpoints so uh, it, it reaches our state it reaches our city it reaches our internet service provider and then it comes on our computer or you know smartphone or any smart device until then, we have no security checkpoints or no security controls, and we just don't know what is coming our way until we open it. So I, I think there is a huge gap in here because if we see our roads, we know we any truck passing has to go through so many checkpoints before it enters the city. So why we have created this network? where there are absolutely no security controls, you know, so that is a huge gap that, that is somewhere technologically. We need to figure out how to create the, tech, you know, security checkpoints. I mean, we are moving towards uh, homomorphic encryption. Probably it will allow us to see the data 
you know that is traveling that is you know on our network so we can see what is in the you know package that is coming our way so we can have some timely intervention so pro probably in the coming years we'll be able to use homomorphic encryption and other you know uh, technology to be able to create the security checkpoints but i think that is where a huge gap is now when we talk about 5g do you think that 5g cell tower transmission can be adjusted to send more, you know, powerful beams of, you know, all these microwave different bandwidth, you know, that they are using uh, and uh, create this active denial system or, you know, create other kinds of attacks. I mean, do you think the attack vector will be changing, you know, significantly with the use of 5G, with the broad, you know, uh, use of 5G? Um, yeah, so um, obviously there's there's a lot kind of mixed into what, what you were just saying, right? Um, you know, so the first part back on the encryption um, thing and, and the visibility thing, um, the interesting thing is that so many times, and we've seen this, whether it's in cyber or outside of cyber, you know, going back in history again, right? Things that are created for one purpose are then used for another, right? So things like encryption were created so that so that when my company was, you know, sending traffic, you know, sending information from point A to point B, that unless you could decrypt it, you didn't get to see what was in there because it was my intellectual property. It was my, you know, treasures, right? And if you think about it, that goes all the way back to, you know, signed, you know, little like, you know, uh, what is that, uh, you know, um, Da Vinci code type stuff with little, you know, little cryptics and everything, you know? So, so even that was even before technology, but now the, to your point, the bad guys can put their stuff in, they can encrypt their stuff. Um, and unless we have that key, we can't necessarily see it, but that becomes a really interesting topic of conversation. I was at uh, um, a summit a little while back and a former national security advisor was the keynote speaker. And he was talking about what is the role of government in some of these things. And, and he, to oversimplify what he said was, Government needs to be the only guys that are actually engaged in any kind of cyber warfare, right? You go, so if you're a company and somebody hits you, you shouldn't try and hit their servers back again. You're going to get in a lot of trouble. You might be violating laws and you know, everything like that. So he said, that's the domain. He said, but when it comes to this thing about the traffic coming through, I don't want the government looking at my traffic. So I don't really want the government to be able to unlock everything. But then to your point, you've got this, the bad stuff that can come through, right? Now, coming back over to your 5G um, question and, and really the broader question of attack vectors, um, uh, 5G will change the composition in those countries that it really gets widely spread. But there's also still gonna be a whole bunch of countries where it isn't, right? And part of the reason that Wi-Fi networks, just coming back to that for a second, Part of the reason why Wi-Fi attacks are so powerful in so much of the world is because cellular data is so expensive or so slow in so many parts of the world. So in so many parts of the world, it's literally just part of their DNA to hop onto whatever free Wi-Fi network there happens to be because it's going to keep my bill down, right, compared to the data programs that I've got. Now, with 5G's capacity, allegedly, that will lower that in those countries that they're, they're in. So when I look at it, I would break it into two parts. The parts of the world where 5G doesn't become predominant for a lot of different reasons, and the parts that it does. For the parts that it doesn't, 
it's it's going to continue to be somewhat business as usual with things like how easy it is to put up a fake Wi-Fi network to your to your question about, you know, there's no regulation and things like that. And it's so easy to do. And the phone connects and the user is the admin. How easy is this? You know, I mean, it's like, and it's like shooting fish in a barrel. Right. On the 5G side of things, it's going to be interesting to see what variations they have of trying to poison the 5G network or. To your point, do I just use it as a very fast network as a bad guy and deliver more phishing attacks, deliver more malware, deliver more device exploits, and not even waste my time trying to play around with trying to poison the network? You know what I mean? And, and it all comes down to, uh, as you and I were kind of you know, talking about beforehand, as long as there is a reason for me to try to compromise your device, whatever the device is, you talked about some some you know ones going forward in terms of medical devices, whether you know in, in, in addition to IoT and mobile and traditional, as long as there's a reason for me to do it, that that whole term of art of uh, advanced uh, advanced persistent threat, right? APT. You hear about it all over the cybersecurity space. In my opinion, an APT is not a technology. An APT is an actor, right? And so as long as that there is an advanced persistent threat, an actor that wants to get at a certain device, they're just going to keep playing with these different devices. You know, sometimes it'll be networks, sometimes it'll be apps, sometimes it'll be phishing, sometimes, you know, and, and to achieve their goal because they got time. They're persistent. Right? Yes, very true. Very true. Yeah. So, I mean, the challenge is with the 5G is that this, uh, all these cellular and Wi-Fi networks, including this, you know, 5G network that's emerging, they rely on the microwave radiation, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a type of electromagnetic radiation that uses different frequencies, different bandwidth, you know, six gigahertz or, you know, all different kinds of, and then to be able to transmit the voice and data. Now, because the 5G, the doesn't travel long distance. So we have to have so many different antennas in a neighborhood, you know, residential business neighborhood, you know, everywhere, you know, so the number of antennas that would be there are going to be so many increasing, you know, so in, you know, hundreds of thousands fold. So now if the, you know, five, this network is weaponized, I mean, the weaponization can happen in many different ways. It can happen by, you know, the, you know, sending some malwares or it can happen by, uh, you know, creating some sort of a control system, mind control system. You know, that there are a lot of experiments going on uh, and uh, these networks, Wi-Fi networks or 5G networks, they can also be used as a, a weaponized, you know, control system. It can alter your brain waves. It can alter your heart, you know, rhythm. So if, if it is used as a weaponized crowd control system or a weaponize, uh, you know, brainwave, you know, uh, manipulation system, then how will we able to, you know, stop this kind of attacks? I mean, any anybody can take control over uh, uh, this uh, network and uh, change it in such a way and weaponize it so that anybody who is in the, uh, you know, area, all their brainwaves are manipulated and they, you know, create all kinds of, you know, different symptoms, anxiety, stress, you know, to... Um, making them do things that they would never think of doing on their own. So how will you create solutions to stop this kind of weaponization? You know, that's a, that, that's a great question. And, and it's, it's interesting because at first, when, when somebody would listen to, let's say, the way that you were just you know, talking about that, it would seem like 
okay, that's way out there and it's futuristic and, you know, but there's been documented cases. I mean, especially, I mean, down in Cuba, I mean, we've, we've, you know, I'm sure you've heard about that, you know, down in Cuba where a lot of the U S diplomats and, and other guys were having all these memory issues and having, and they determined that it was a variation of what you were talking about. Now it wasn't to the best of my knowledge, it wasn't connected to 5g, um, but it's, but it's very much there. And you know, it's, um, as you were talking, what was going through my head was um, there's a there's a certain type of attack, and then based on that attack and based on the risk that you believe it it provides, then you figure out what the solution is against it, right? So when you think about attacks using any kind of a network, like like let's talk about the microwave stuff. One goal is information. I want to listen, right? I want to eavesdrop. I want to steal information, right? Another goal is I want to control the destination, let's say a cell phone in this case, right? And then the third part is I want to control the source, the microwave in the case of what you're talking about. Depending on which one of those things you're trying to solve, you will probably take a fundamentally different approach to how you would solve it, right? Um, so, So listening over the network, that was the whole point of encryption, you know, being able to, to do that, you know, so, so to oversimplify, how do we protect the device? Well, the device is uh, the end device. That's where you get into things like malware protection and phishing protection, device exploit protection, you know, things on those lines. When it comes to the, the source, the microwave part, that's, that's a really interesting one. And, and, and I don't know, it would be very interesting to see if, if you even break it down, what am I trying to stop, right? Again, if I'm trying to stop information dissemination, I make sure that encryption is a part of that. If I'm trying to make sure that you know no weaponization could get across, I maybe we could put some, some gateway filtering capabilities or something inside there. But if you're talking about doing things like actually using the microwaves themselves for getting an end device, and, or maybe saying that human beings are an end device, um, that's really interesting. And, and to be honest, I don't know. Um, it would it would be something that um, you know we'd really have to say. Okay, what would you? Because in that case, would you would literally be saying somebody has to be manipulating the output itself, right? In a way that would cause some sort of issues, like what was happening in Cuba. Um, so I would assume it would be some sort of a regulator that would that would almost kind of like I'm thinking out loud, um, but almost kind of like. Um, you know, when you when you have the uh, the coal uh, filters, you've got your coal plants, but before stuff gets out of the coal plant, it's got to go through all these filters now in order to actually. I'm almost picturing that same thing on the microwaves, where exactly. it's like there's certain things where it's got to be pure coming out of it the way it's supposed to be, not manipulated. But yeah. but I don't know. It's it's a fascinating question in a in a. A problem, honestly, I hope we don't have to deal with, but I have a feeling we will. Yes, none of us want that problem. But uh, like you said, you know, we are hearing all these cases in Cuba and other places where our diplomats are targeted. And if, what if, you know, the enemy decides that we want to target the entire country, then they it's very easy for them to use the networks and, you know, target the cell phones, target the, you know, 5G, Wi-Fi, you know, antennas. So then we have to, like you were just, you know, saying that we will have to create filters 
so the, like you know in our homes now we have the surge protectors home whole house surge protector so the large you know amount of uh, electricity doesn't you know come and you know it doesn't uh, destroy our appliances and uh, uh, electronics so maybe we'll have to come up with a solution like that that every uh, you know smart device every computer every electronic you know that has some sort of you know filter some sort of protector so the because you know when they try to weaponize the wi-fi it, they will be using something that would you know only impact the brain waves at certain you know wavelength you know it's not the common wavelength is not going to uh, at the intensity which we are using you know or the frequency it's not going to impact our brain waves there must be something different that they will be doing so we have to identify what you know frequency and what wavelength that they will be using what bandwidth they will be using that would be impacting the human brain waves and we create a filter for that so that you know it doesn't reach so we will have yeah, to you know it's, uh, it's 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 interesting for me uh, as you're talking it's also making me think about um you know smart meters and things on those lines and and yeah. in cybersecurity it, it's it, it, almost anybody who's spent any time in cybersecurity will tell you if you have physical access to a device you can crack it yes. right if you have physical access to a device you can crack it so so with smart meters the 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 default is assume a smart meter can be cracked okay because it's on the side of people's houses so I mean, you can't keep it out of people's hands that's why it's supposed to be there so now i've got this device so then the next logical thing is how do i make sure that if somebody cracked a smart meter they can't spread through the rest of the grid right that it's contained um when we're having this kind of discussion about the microwave and obviously it's a it's a Part of what you you guys do right you you discuss ideas and you kick things around and go hey what about you know to me in this brief little time thinking about it if i was starting to design a solution for this it would minimally have two parts one would be the part we're talking about how do we filter something coming out of any given microwave let's assume somebody can maybe you know and obviously it's much harder to get after a microwave than it is to a smart meter but let's assume somebody can get a hold of it Right. So how do we stop that coming out the other end? But then to your point about if somebody wanted to weaponize it to attack simultaneously multiple microwaves, the backhaul, how do, how do we prevent remote control of multiple? How do we recognize that there is multiple attempts at the same time? How do we filter that? How do we gate that so that no, the instructions can't even reach the point that that individual microwave can can produce things? But I don't know, but that, like we were talking about, that's one of the cool things about what you guys are doing is throwing ideas around and then what ifing, right? Okay, and, and part of it is the red team and the blue team, right? Yes. How would I go about doing this if I was the bad guy is probably gonna be how we end up stopping it as the good guy. Yes, absolutely. That's all about strategic security, right? We have to visualize what uh, different kinds of uh, weaponization can happen, what different kind of security risks can emerge that would impact not only our human health, but our uh, homes, our, you know, electronics, our, uh, you know, data, every, everything we have to visualize. And then we have to see, you know, what is more important to solve right now. And then we start, you know, addressing those uh, security risks so that we can prepare our country, our, you know, we can prepare uh, solutions to protect the future of the humanity because there is no way to know who is going to do what in the coming years. Right.
and uh, we cannot just sit back and wait for something to happen and then start thinking of solutions we have to start thinking of all kinds of you know weaponization that could happen now or in the coming years and start thinking of the solutions now so that when those kind of attacks happen we are we will be prepared because think of this you know north korea can you know uh, use uh, electronic uh, warfare you know the, there are many they are already working on that many countries are working on it mm -hmm. so if there is an em attack I mean, uh, we are talking broader, bigger attack that could, you know, destroy the entire country's electronics. You know, it could take us back to the Stone Age. Or if there is someone, he just has, you know, a small briefcase-sized, uh, uh, you know, weapon, they can just be near a company and uh, launch an attack and we won't even know what destroyed all of our uh, data because there is no way to know that, you know, is uh, targeting us using electromagnetic weapons. So we, there are a lot of cases, you know, that we read, you know, in public that these uh, suddenly, you know, the data was lost, suddenly the connection was lost, the GPS stopped working. So there is all kinds of things we are hearing and we need to understand what could be at the root cause. We need to understand what are the risks emerging that's coming our way. So people like you, technologies like you, you right. can start thinking about the solutions. You can start thinking about the products that would be necessary in the coming years. And we start working on that. So having said that, what would you like to tell our global viewers and listeners about your organization's vision for securing Wi-Fi? Yeah, so um, thank you. Thank you for asking. And, and the, 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 um, so what Zimperium does is we're very, very good at two things. <laughs> and I can say it because I don't do either one of them. Um, we're, we're very, very good at detecting attacks on mobile devices and, and, and then IoT, which is related. Very similar closed operating system, you know, environment in both those, and we're very good at putting our stuff in other people's stuff. And so, we have I think around seventy or eighty million endpoints around the world and growing, um, and we power some of the mobile security solutions to some of the biggest telcos and some of the biggest security companies in the world. Um, so our approach has been back to the the three different vectors we were talking about earlier. Our approach is to protect the endpoint device themselves or the mobile apps themselves. And, and basically inoculate them and give them a, an awareness of bad Wi-Fi's in this particular case when you're asking the question. So our our mission, we fundamentally believe, because you asked a great question about the regulation around Wi-Fi networks and things on those lines. We fundamentally believe that networks are still gonna be wide open. It's still gonna be the wild, wild west. The only thing we can control is the device itself. Um, and so we, are focused on doing all of our detection. What we do is we do all of our detection on device. Um, the reason we do that is nine out of 10, 90% of the targeted attacks against enterprises, which is what we're here to focus on, start with a bad Wi-Fi. And so putting all of your detection up in the cloud, like we're used to doing on traditional endpoints when we control the network, doesn't work. So we basically said, you have to do all of your detection on device and you need to be able to detect the attacks. And today's attacks are device exploits, network attacks, malicious apps, and mobile phishing. But then we see other ones that are coming along the lines. Do you use Bluetooth for delivering exploits instead of using Wi-Fi as Bluetooth beacons and stuff start to come in? Um, so, so fundamentally, we're, we're trying to help by identifying where bad Wi-Fi networks and the like are occurring. But what we're really doing is we're trying to inoculate the phone to be able to protect itself when such a bad Wi-Fi network occurs, along with the other attack vectors. Um, so, but to, to your great questions about 
what happens in 5G? And does that fundamentally change things? And um, are there new attacks that can start occurring using the cellular network that we have to look at that's different than the ones we're experiencing on, on Wi-Fi's? Those are all the things that we're just continuing to, to expand our, our view on. Great, wonderful. Thank you so much, James, for participating in the Risk Roundup today. We appreciate your thoughtful insight on the weaponization of Wi-Fi and our global viewers and listeners. I'm sure will benefit tremendously from the information you shared on the emerging threats or, you know, where we need to focus on to bring meaningful changes to their nation's ecosystem uh, based on the discussion we had today. This Risk Roundup dialogue has been of service and we thank you for that. So Risk Roundup, a global initiative launched by Risk Group, is a security risk reporting for risk emerging from existing and emerging technologies, technology convergence, and transformation happening across cyberspace, aquaspace, geospace, and space. We at Risk Group believe that risk management, security, and peace, they walk together hand in hand. Though security is related to management of threats and peace to the management of conflict, risk management is related to management of security vulnerabilities as well as management of conflict, it is not possible to conceive any one of the three without the existence of the other two. All three concepts feed into each other. We believe that the security we build for ourselves is precarious and uncertain until it is secure for everyone across nations. Tradition becomes our security. So if you build a culture of managing risk effectively, it will lead us to security and security will lead us to peace. Let's manage the existing and emerging risk together. For more information on the risk roundups, to watch the risk roundup videos or hear the risk roundup podcast, please go to riskgroupllc.com and do not forget to subscribe and share. Until next time, I'm Jayshree, host of Risk Roundup, signing off. See you next time. Thank you.